0: Welcome back to The Shed, boys. Happy to see you. I don't know if our viewers will be able to see our smiling faces or not. That's a production decision we haven't made yet. But we're glad you're here listening in any case. I don't know what we've got on the docket for this afternoon. Um, Not using words like docket is probably part of it. We'll probably hear, I don't know, things like what we watched, what we heard. The usual potpourri of interesting bric-a-brac that we have in our heads is coming your way right now. Here we go. Do you guys want to do some listener mail? Because we got a bunch of great listener mail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm in. This week's listener mail is all about the Mumalak Kakak episode. We do have lots of other listener mail we're going to get to in the next few episodes. But uh, for today, it's just going to be those. Had great response from that, didn't we, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's uh, episode 108 just immediately preceding this one if anybody's looking for it. Yeah, we did. We, we we often get emails from old friends and stuff and they sort of say, loved your episode, remember this. Or, But the ones we got here were more like this kind of content. Uh, we'd like to see more of this kind of content, this kind of conversation. And so we thought we'd get that email out right away just because we're pleased at the uh, amount of thought that went into a bunch of these responses. Yeah, so we're
1: slipping these in now, even though the rest of today's episode was recorded quite a while before we interviewed Moomalak. So if that helps clarify anything, I don't know, <laughs> don't know if it does. Well,
0: and the other thing is, we had way more viewers on the Mumalak episode than we typically have on our regular kind of episodes, like at least three times as many and more like eight times as many Uh, listens on that episode, just because that name's way more well-known across Canada than the Shed Dogs. I I know it's inconceivable to our regular listeners that I should say that, but it's true. An MP's name is actually
1: more known than ours. Unbelievable. And this particular MP is even better known. So uh, just starting off with a quick comment from uh, Mike from Rossland, uh, who watched it on YouTube and he just, very brief, he says, man, so powerful. Thank you. Mumalak Kakak. Okay. Huey from Janelle says, hi guys. All I can say about episode 108 is wow. It was really the best one yet. I hope this can happen more often. Happy second anniversary. Cheers. Huey. Always good to hear from Huey, Thanks, Huey. and uh, in particular. Yeah. Very
0: nice. Oh, I was really pleased with that response too. I mean, We've done 108 episodes. I'm pretty sure he's heard them all. And he says that one was the best. And it wasn't because we were all sparkly and wonderful. It's because we had topic material that was, he liked engaged him. So good.
1: And, uh, we were pretty sparkly
0: and wonderful. Let's face
1: it. As part of that episode, we were talking about how great it would be to travel up there. And so Jimmy Q writes, best time to get up North is in June to first week of September. But if you want to see the northern lights, October to first week of April. Mosquito season is July to first week of September. Use Aeroplan Points to Fly cheaper. Average hotel rate is two fifty a night. Midnight sun at the Arctic Circle June eighteenth to June twenty-third. So all great tips with respect to when to go and how to go. I noticed the hotel rooms. I, I looked at hotel rooms in a Callowit. Uh, I looked at a, yeah, I looked at a three bedroom suite just for us guys. And, uh, it would run $600 a night. Yeah, so for, pretty close to his estimate. Yeah. So 200 each for a, for a suite. Yeah. So.
0: Well, and I, I looked at the dates carefully and I thought, okay, I'm going in June. Cause number one, no bugs. Number two, midnight sun. I really want to see the Northern lights. I got to say. But I can get two for one if I go in June, as opposed to only one big hit if I go for Northern Lights, I think.
1: Yeah, so I was talking in that episode, in episode 108, about how beautiful Aqaluit is. It turns out that I was getting that image from the Google Maps page for Aqaluit, which actually has a photo of a completely different hamlet, (laughs) not Aqaluit, on the Aqaluit page. The beautiful place is called hang near tongue. And, and uh, we, we noticed we had quite a few hits from that location on uh, Squarespace coming to our page. So that's the place that I'd like to travel to. Haven't checked the hotel rates there yet. I got to just say, geez, we had hits from some fun
0: places. Like I looked up where British Columbia this morning, because we had a bunch from there where is way up North. It's an indigenous place. There's, you know, it used to be called Fort Ware and they've since reverted to its indigenous name, which I'm sorry, I can't remember right now. But it's a place and a bunch of their uh, hereditary lands were flooded and they ended up in this place called Ware and they, they just got phones in 2005. Um, there is no cell coverage up there. So the fact that somebody up there is able to connect to the internet somehow to watch our episode... Uh, that's pretty interesting. And there is just all of these great place names across Canada that I've never even heard of before where people are listening to that because of, uh, Mumilac, I'm
1: very sure. And these are I'm locations fun. that hit our webpage, which is not necessarily the same as downloading a podcast episode. There might be even more there, but the people that came to the webpage from Nunavut were from Rankin Inlet, Tongue, Baker Lake, which was, uh, Mumilac's hometown all Beach, Icalawit, Tuck, and Arctic Bay. We also have people from uh, Sinaloa and Mexico, so the cartels listening in. <laughs> Got the Republic of Korea, New Zealand, UK, France, Belgium, some of KJ's relatives down in Texas, China. 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 Yeah, China. <laughs> Jeez. Ireland. So, the China so just, virus. <laughs> that's pretty good, RJ. I did like the Trump
0: China. (laughs) I can't even do it.
1: Fun. All right. So back to our uh, listener mail. (laughs) Ogre from Nelson writes, great episode dogs. Interesting to hear from Moomalak. Just wanted to let you know some of the isolation things Moomalak talked about happened in BC too. My daughter, Michelle is now living in Bella Coola and is pregnant. Anyone pregnant in the Bella Coola Valley has to go to Williams Lake one month before their due date. They hook you up with either a doctor or a midwife from Williams Lake and all your care happens there. It's all very official and you have to sign a document agreeing to it all. This is all because they can't do C-sections in Bella Coola if there's an emergency. So you have to travel out, find accommodation and live there for at least a month, more if you're late or there are problems. I can see how it would be more stressful for someone from Nunavut doing the same thing but with more distance, greater isolation, and more barriers in place. Very thoughtful note from Ogre and Nelson.
0: Ogre's note is true, I would say, in a whole bunch of locations all the way across Canada, regardless of the kind of the nature or race of people that live there. It's just if you're in an isolated place, you got to get ready to go. And if your doctor sees that the baby is breech or something like that, you're going to end up going someplace to wait it out. For those same reasons. So it's, it's not unique to a Iqaluit, but I do think, Ogre's right to point out, it's probably harder if you're from a place where English is a second language, you're getting shipped 1500 kilometers from home, away from your family at a time like childbirth, that'd be pretty rough, I think.
2: Would people in the north have to pay for that move? That doesn't make sense to me. And
0: that flight, like, I just don't know. Uh, we had questions about costs earlier like if you have to like they fly everything in there for instance somebody in your family dies you're down south you got to pay for the flight to go right if you need medical care i bet you don't pay for the flight to go but in the case of the possibility of medical care do you have to pay for the flight i wouldn't think so but what about the lodging ah probably Uh. because yeah, I just don't know.
1: I mean, it's a question.
2: Well, maybe we must find that out.
1: Patrick uh, from Trail, formerly from Rosslyn, says, Great show, guys. It got my attention. Through our mom, my brat siblings and I have the privilege of status with the Confederated Tribes of Colville, where housing has its own challenges associated with being on a reserve. In saying that, I've worked in the territories, and the climate up there brings a whole new dimension to housing construction. The discussion of educating the occupants triggered a recollection. Years ago, 40 or so years ago, I was invited onto a reserve to do some duck hunting with a member. When I noticed some of the houses had sections of the bathroom walls removed and horses drinking out of the bathtubs. When I inquired about this, it was explained to me that culturally the elders were shocked that you would prepare food and sleep in the same place where toilet facilities existed. So the old-timers dug an outhouse, closed off the bathroom, and put the bathtub to good use. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah, I love that email. I mean... So they got the horses standing in the outdoors, drinking water out of the bathtub, and the bathroom itself is no longer accessible from inside the house because... It's just not, and when you think about it, I started thinking, yeah, having a bathroom in the house is kind of, you know, disgusting. If, if it's something you were not raised to have, it's kind of like, uh, yeah. kind of like, uh, us eating with our left hands in an Indian restaurant, you know, it's like, <laughs> sh- no. you're shaking hands. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I love that email just because it's, Portsy's note is a great example of how you can miss the mark, even with the best will of the world in the world which I'm not going to suggest was necessarily in play when those houses were built. You can just miss it. If you're not engaging local people for whom those houses are being built in the, in the questions of, of how should they work? You know, how, how should they be designed? Like, great email. So it's been going on forever. That kind of thing. I also wanted to mention, I talked to my oldest brother who he worked in pine point, which is on the South shore of great slave Lake for 15 years. I think And he traveled around up there. He used to go to hockey tournaments and, you know, go to run marathons in various places. And he actually mentioned that when he was in Iqaluit, he'd seen houses being built. Uh, I can't remember if it was Inuvik or Hay River, but he'd seen houses being built and he knew who the contractor was. And he said they were just banging those things out like crazy. And, you know, they looked like normal houses to him. And when he was in Iqaluit, he noticed that the houses up there just didn't, They just looked like crap. They looked like they were really poorly built. And he didn't really think much about it or know why. But he he even noticed then, and this was, again, a good 35 years ago, a difference in the quality of the provided housing near where he lived and in Akello, which was not where he lived. And then after that, Moby, I think you sent us the clipping on how our current Minister of Northern Affairs, Mark Miller, was shocked, shocked, I say, to notice that there might be inequities in the quality of building being provided in the north for government funded projects in this case he was talking about i believe water restore restoration but what that article tells me is they haven't been monitoring it you kind of think
1: and it was classic how many- it was classic government there using okay the lowest bid that meets the requirements so that means somebody can totally lowball it claim that they're going to meet the requirements and then start pointing at, oh, I have this problem or that problem, so I got to charge you more. And those would go on forever and ever. And the locals knew that this was not a bid they wanted to accept, but the rigid requirements of government RFPs meant they were just forced into it by this, you know, what looked to be a tricky company who had bad problems with like 15 different projects and are finally on the blacklist. They're finally no longer getting the bids supposedly. Okay. Uh, James Merritt writes, thank you so much for your podcast with MP Moomalak. She is amazing. I worked in the Arctic most of my life. The Inuit are awesome. Unfortunately, the issues communicated so well by Moomalak are too real and break my heart. Listen to a couple songs by Kelly Fraser looking for a seal and stay strong. Sadly, she too committed suicide Christmas 2019. Thank you again, Jim. That's very, very sad. Okay. And Lee from Courtney writes, this was a very different time in the shed for sure. (laughs) Mumlac is clearly a dedicated and articulate MP and seems very committed to her constituents and their issues, which of course should be seen as issues belonging to all of us. I grew up in Saskatchewan, in a rural area bordered by three First Nations reservations. So I went to school with a lot of kids from the reservations, two of which didn't have their own schools, and with those who lived off-reserve. In the 12 years that covered my own schooling, I believe only one of those kids graduated from grade 12. There were myriad reasons for it, many going back several generations, of things like residential schools, substandard housing, poor health, racism, etc. My sister-in-law is Plains Cree and was adopted by her non-Indigenous family in the 1960s when she was a baby. Definitely part of the 60s scoop. She, however, has always been glad that it happened to her because she feels her life has been better than otherwise it would have been. She's likely right because back then no one was trying to do anything but make the Indian kids more like white kids. And certainly, no one was trying to work to fix the underlying issues and conditions. I agree with Mumilak that our education system was certainly created by white European people, men mostly, and a lot of that needed to change and still does. I don't agree, though, that spending time learning about World War I and II was wasted time. We learned from all history, or we should, and those wars had a huge impact on Canadians, not just on those who served. And I was disheartened by her comment that the French modeled their prisons on residential schools and that the Germans probably did too. And she put that in quotes. First of all, the French had pretty much perfected horrific prison conditions long before residential schools came into effect. And secondly, there is zero documentation of Germans coming to Canada and using the residential school system which was developed based on religious boarding schools as a basis for their prison camps. It's not right that a bunch of history was left out of our education or subverted, but Mumilak should do better than to perpetuate false history assertions too. And that's her closing. I think Lee says quite a bit of good stuff in there. She comes out fairly strong on kind of like Mumilak's statements, uh, a couple statements that the French came over and had a look at how we ran our residential schools as kind of a lesson for how to build prisons, I believe. And she said she was pretty sure that the Germans did too. So mumalak said, yes, yeah, mumalak did. And so we've done a little bit of research after we received this note, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof, they say. And so if the claim is that the Germans and the French came over to have a look at our residential schools to better perfect their prisons and, or their, concentration camps, that's, that's quite a thing. And so you, you can't prove a negative, you can't prove that didn't happen, uh, but you can prove it did. And, and, uh, in my searches through the documentation, I didn't specifically find anything that showed that it happened, but KJ, I think you found, uh, we found a couple articles that are, that are certainly close to related and capture the capture that aspect, but not well, let let's see what we have to say here. KJ, you have something?
2: Yeah, this is uh, uh, the dailymail.com and the t- title is How Hitler's Love of the Wild West May Have Inspired Concentration Camps. Nazi admired Canadians who locked up indigenous people to take The Indian Out of the Indian Claims author. This is written this piece is written by Sebastian Murphy Bates for Mail Online. And he uh, talks about author Baron Alexander Deschauer. He has a new book called Concentration Camps of Canada. And it just exposes the similarities between the, H- Hitler's camps and Indian reserves. And in, near the end of the article, he says, though he admits it is unclear whether Hitler drew direct inspiration from the Canadian system, his methodology was strikingly similar Um, The United States government had created concentration camps as early as 1838. The use of this method became prevalent from the 1860s as the borders of the United States moved westward. The U.S. government referred to these concentration camps as Indian reservations, referring to the land that the government had set aside to house the Indians. I I actually uh, sort of neglected, I should have also looked up the the, the French connection too. So I don't know that, the zero evidence that Lee says is quite zero but you know maybe it's close to that
0: I, I guess she's right if it is not absolutely historically provable Black probably needs to be a, a, you know she did qualify her remark by saying she's not sure so good yeah but really Lee's email and thanks Lee for that again another great email very thoughtful uh, it's it's worth that it's worth trying to hold our representatives to account. It's worth trying to think critically about what we hear. Uh, during that interview, I didn't even question it because I just really liked Wimelac. But she is an MP. She's a public representative. And so it's really good to ask those questions and point them out. So thanks for that.
1: And just in closing, we had one from uh, Celia, who uh, is normally from Rossland, sometimes from Vancouver. She says, Hey, I really wanted to say how much I thought of your interview with the MP of Nunavut. So, so, so many more people need to have these conversations. This past year, I have been trying hard to educate myself about the many systems in place that work against BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, which I believe is kind of an acronym for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Mm -hmm. It is a start for me, but I don't intend to stop. I really hope the three of you can continue to do more of this type of interview. It is so needed. It may seem small, but it has to start somewhere. Please pass on to Pat my compliments. So that was a wonderful note from Celia. It was, and thank you for that.
0: I mean, so about that, (laughs) you know, as Lee noted in her note, this kind of thing is not been in our wheelhouse really. And we did do that episode sort of specifically because we thought one little thing that we can do one little thing. And it sounds like it had sort of the desired effect. People resonated with a bunch of people. I don't know what we might or might not do. We haven't really spoken a lot among ourselves about what we would do going forward along these lines. I did send a note to MP Kakak saying we would got these results from our listeners and people seemed interested and open and wanted to have those conversations. And I thought she should hear that because you could tell in our interview that she sometimes thinks, yeah, okay, we sit here and talk, but then what? <laughs> she actually said almost that in our interview and then veered off onto these conversations are important. So I wanted to reassure them that they do have an effect and I am very hopeful about sort of a ripple thing, but going forward on the podcast, I don't, you know, I don't think we're going to become some kind of indigenous spokespeople or anything. I think we'll take whatever opportunities naturally present themselves to amplify indigenous voices, but I don't think it's going to be our bread and butter the whole way or anything.
1: No, we might from term, we might from time to time continue to interview people of interest could be in Canadian politics or whatever. I I think uh, that, however, is quite a bit of work. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me (laughs) if we just continue just to show up and hang out virtually in the shed (laughs) and uh, in reality later on in the shed and just, uh, you know, bullshit. Yeah. So a
0: quick thought, if, We did get a warm response from our listeners on our interview with Moomalak. And if anybody listening is interested in hearing more from her, she does have a series of videos that she's made with various indigenous artists and uh, people of note where she interviews them. And, you know, they're on YouTube under Moomalak Kakak. And there's a series that looks like about a half a dozen. One of them was with Becky Han, who did the music for our episode with her. So that's a place you can go. She just subscribe and she posts occasionally to there and hear her talk to people about
1: things of interest in that community, in that part of the world. Well, I sent a keep in touch email to someone who I haven't talked to for about a year or so. This this particular person complains about traffic flag people. (laughs) <laughs> and so I was driving down the road and I saw a truck. Do
0: does this person have an English yes, accent? Yes, I think it yes. might. Yeah. And,
1: and I saw a truck driving by me on the left and on the very back, it said now hiring flaggers. <laughs> so I took a photo of that and I sent him a note saying, Hey, I've, in case you don't have work during the pandemic, I found something perfect for you here. So anyway, he sent a note back in the course of his note. He said, uh, we are 95% sure we had COVID last March. After ill-timed dental procedure, when that dental conference outbreak hit the news. Do you remember that? Sure do. Mm-hmm. Difficulty breathing was the main concern. After five weeks in quarantine slash recovery, we could barely walk slowly to the end of the block. Took us into summer to be able to walk down to the key and back with ease. Testing was impossible then, so couldn't be certain. I didn't realize that as far back as March, they have all those symptoms and it's hard to get tested or impossible, Um, but the pieces fit. His wife's family was hardest hit. Her mom contracted in her care home and was touch and go for about two weeks. Her aunt and uncle in the same care home, both succumbed. Very difficult times. Like that really hits home. Um, You you just hear the stuff in the news and it's very, very real.
2: Well, maybe uh, I'll just pose this one, RJ. It's the um, Twitter ban on Trump and the reaction, particularly from the EU, as far as I can tell. I don't know if there's a big reaction in America or not, but saying that let's be really careful about people who control social media and are able to turn you off. Let's be really careful about... um, So I imagine there's going to be a ton of new regulations, uh, especially in the states that are going to come down on Facebook and Twitter and everybody for, for, you know, monopolies for one thing and or, you know, just what they control and what they don't control. Your thoughts?
1: I think that the end of society as we know it could be easily brought about by Facebook alone. And so when you go, yeah, but you know, there's a downside to these restrictions Yeah, there is, but there's an upside to them as well because Facebook was the reason Trump got elected. Facebook is the reason that probably a good quarter of Americans believe that the Democrats are actually uh, child abusers, like just the crazy stuff. And you go, well, can't these people just, you know, learn to be more discerning? No, they can't. So what I think the solution is, is yes, there should be a line. It's just the question is, can you draw a clear line? And in my mind, you can like, so you would never say, okay, you can get banned for lying. You would never say that because it's just too hard to police and it's too murky. What is a lie? You know, what's a kind of a half truth? What is a misleading truth? But what you can say is you get banned anytime you incite violence. And I would love to see some left wing people just banned like I'm left wing. I'd love to see left wing people banned when they say somebody should shoot Trump um, uh. or or even even the stuff that people oh yeah, but I was just kidding. no, uh, actually sorry, we have a hard line. Anytime you threaten physical violence, you're banned or you know maybe there's a you three strikes and you're out, you get a one week thing. That, see, I think you don't have a danger of a slippery slope with that if you clearly define it. See, I think it's just like that thing in the airports. They, you know, I don't know if this is a apocryphal or not, but I was always told that you cannot joke about having a bomb in an airport. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's all, oh, that's my personal, my liberties are being, you know, I want to cry out fire in a theater. I mean, it's, it's my right to, you know, like. <laughs> So no, there are clear lines there and people seem to be comfortable with those clear lines. And I think that's it. Just stop, stop it. How about harmful lies? <laughs> harmful lies? No, like, because, because what's a lie? I don't think you can do that one. We already have fact checkers and it's a very, very hard job. You can go, okay, Snopes, they have a lot of experience at that. Actually, right-wingers hate Snopes um, because it turns out that the right-wing tends to lie a lot more often, right? Um, so it's pretty, pretty tough to pull that off. I think certainly
0: I would agree that something is better than nothing. And a rule like you suggest would be a real good, fairly start. clear
1: line. And you know, there'll be people who will, uh, dog whistle, right? Somebody should take out the wash, you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. there'll be a lot of that going on and that will be difficult and you kind of basically can't do much with it, but still, I think it would help a lot. Yeah.
0: It's some sort of signal that overt crappiness serious, overt crappiness isn't going to be allowed, that'd probably be a good start.
1: All right. Well, why don't we cover Tim of Durham's uh, Christmas concert? Sure,
0: yeah. So my brother, one of my two brothers, this one being Tim, who lives in Durham, North Carolina, and uh, his partner, Leslie, they, they're they in a choir out there. So, okay, good. Lots of people in choir. And normally, of course, they meet in a large group in some church someplace and sing songs and at some point they give a concert and people come in and listen to that. All that, not on this year. So they did theirs via Zoom. And uh, there must be, I'd say 75 people in this thing, probably more, but conservatively 75 people in this choir. And everybody received some kind of file. I can't remember the name of it. There's a thing that music making guys use, a click track, Mm -hmm. click tracks, I think it is. They all got that. So they all got the key... And the tempo you know okay good and they all recorded their parts individually in their living rooms and they sent them all back in and they assembled the entire thing and they put out their concert uh, digitally virtually i heard it and it sounded fantastic like really good I just thought it was amazing. In fact, you, you kind of think, did they really do it that way? Well, yeah. you know, I'm going through. There's a there's a grid view and there's like, a, I don't know, 80 faces on the screen, all singing some song. <laughs> so you're going through there. It's like, where, where's Waldo? Oh, there's my brother. <laughs> and he's singing in front of a bookcase in a room. Okay. And then you think, well, I wonder where Leslie is. Same thing. Go through. Oh, there she is also singing in front of the same bookcase in the same room and you think well they don't have two microphones all set up they're not singing you know so wow and that what astounded me was just how good it sounded and then I started thinking well my brother told me in a note that he he was happy that it sounded so good because he stopped listening to his own recording because he just he felt that it was getting worse and worse And he just finally just sent it in. And I thought, I wonder of the 75 or 80 people that sent in stuff, how many of those are we actually hearing right now? (laughs) Like, so if you really pooch your bit, does it just get muted? So your your face is on there and your mouth is moving. And there's no sound because you were just awful. I don't think that probably happened, but uh, I mean, it's... If you've ever wondered about stuff like that, I, I just can't imagine the amount of work it must have taken to yeah, I know the all the logistical crap to get that straightened
1: away. A few times I've sung in, in that way. I know that when you feel you're not hitting your marks, your your volume automatically decreases, you know? And when you're <laughs> just like, when you're on fire, you're just belting it out, man. So uh, maybe that happens, only it's the producer doing it. Yeah, I I, I have no insight
0: into the amount of... Like maybe they auto tuned them all. I mean, I just have no idea, but it take a listen. I think I've sent you guys. I, the I did listen
1: and I agree. It's amazingly good. Like it's very, very strong. It's nice to listen to. And I, I was interested when you mentioned the click track, cause I've seen, you know, of course we've seen a number of these on zoom. Those elbow concerts are really fun. That band called elbow. Um, there's a lot of that. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure, you know, typically you'll see people, they have earbuds in or whatever. And I'm sure not everyone in the choir is going to have perfect pitch. So your pitch can kind of drift. Um, so I would imagine in addition to a click track, they're also pro- probably yeah. hearing the music itself. Uh, yeah,
0: they, they will have sent a piano line yeah. or something, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and you'll listen to that, but you still have to be able to, like, they're not going to send everybody the piano version of their harmony part. No. They're going to send out the melody to everybody. You're still going to have to look at your music and sing the notes that accompany the melody. You know, stand there and go, oh, for five minutes because that's your part. And it, it, like, you still have
1: to get it right. I just,
2: I, Were they both wearing ear bugs? I,
0: I can't remember. I, they must have been. Yeah. I would expect they were both were. I, I was remember.
1: looking at uh, the many faces there, and I saw a lot of earbuds and headphones, or probably just earbuds.
2: Yeah, they must be. Yeah, they them. would have yeah.
1: to, right? There were some where you couldn't see them, but I think the hair, their hair was just hiding it.
0: But then that gives rise to the old phenomena of the person in their living room with the headphones on singing along to their tunes. And sounding just awful
1: because they can't hear themselves. Oh, but they, they do feed it through their ears so they can hear themselves. Oh, they their own singing. Yeah, although, no, I could be wrong. Like earbuds are good because, good, good answer, because earbuds good don't cover your ears so you can definitely hear your voice. But you're right. Like you would have to make sure that you can hear your own voice.
0: So there's probably a way to do it. You know, keep your volume reasonable. But somebody had to tell all those people that. Somebody had to deal with a number of takes where somebody didn't do that and couldn't, you know, like, I just think, Wow. And the other fun thing about that link is it contains a video from their live concert last year. And I thought that was interesting because then you can hear what they really sounded like that, you know, it puts to rest a bunch of those questions of, did they mess with this sound to make it better? Cause they sound fantastic oh, well, live too. So, yep. um, uh, but it was just, it was pretty fun. I, I just, wow.
1: Okay. Uh, listen, uh, I think we should do our uh, segment, our sometime segment called uh, Classic Movies We Haven't Seen. Okay. So we've got one here that's definitely a classic movie. It's from 1939, and it's called. Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my <laughs> trivia question. The Wizard of Oz did not win any Academy Awards merely because Gone with the Wind was put out in the same year. Maybe it didn't get a lot of good reviews either when it first came out, eh, The Wizard of Oz? I I just have no idea. I knew they came out in the same year. I didn't
0: know that Wizard of Oz got no Academy Awards. uh, And I have no idea what kind of reviews it got.
1: Okay, so we have uh, Gone with the Wind, and uh, I have taken the trouble to once again print out the plot line from the Wikipedia article on Gone with the Wind the, uh, backstory to this is that KJ, uh, pointed out that he doesn't think that he has ever seen it. I read the plot and I'm going to have to say, I don't think I've ever seen it either. You're kidding. I've.
0: What, what's the matter? Next, you guys are going to tell me you've never seen like, I don't know,
1: Torah Torah Tora. I've never seen Torah Tora, Torah. <laughs> Tora. Anything that has to do with a war movie, I tend to steer. I haven't even seen Dunkirk, the modern one, but. Eh, uh, well, that's. Uh, and, you know, some of those movies are amazingly good. I just if I have a choice, I'm not going to watch a war movie. I read through this plot and I'm going, okay, wow, this is pretty wild. And and it's actually very relevant to the modern era, isn't it? I think we'll find as we go through it, that a lot of the, um, you know, the uncertainty, the problems of, of people who, uh, mega types, people who want to storm the U S Capitol. They date back to this, don't they? Whenever we talk about peasants with
0: pitchforks and, uh, torches we're talking about maggot guys generally
1: speaking the maggots as i like to call them yeah anyway so here we go (laughs) we have uh strap yourselves in people because we have five full paragraphs on the plot all right i'm I'm squaring up my chair and making sure okay i won't keep up this conceit all the way through but for the first few sentences i'm going to pause and you guys have to fill in the blanks actually kj has to fill in the blanks because pj has seen it so, KJ, this will find out how much you have learned from Osmosis. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? In 1861, on the eve of the Civil War, Scarlett O'Hara, played by Vivian Lee, uh, lives at Tara, her family's cotton plantation in a state that recently had two runoff elections Georgia. In Georgia. With her parents and two sisters and their many slaves. Right on. <laughs> Scarlett learns that Ashley Wilkes, man or woman? Uh, Ashley, man. Good job. Good job. Whom she secretly loves. 1939 wouldn't have had that kind of thing going on. Is to be married to his cousin. Okay. He's going to marry his cousin, guys. Melanie Hamilton. And the engagement is to be announced the next day at a barbecue at Ashley's home. The nearby plantation called Twelve Oaks. So we got two plantations, Terra and Twelve Oaks. At the Twelve Oaks party, Scarlet makes an advance on Ashley. Can you imagine? You know they're going to announce. Anyway, Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Didn't she get the memo about you are decoration only? Like,
1: yeah, and she got rebuffed. Um, instead, she catches the attention of another guest, KJ.
2: Uh, Red Butler.
1: <laughs> right. Good job. Good job. The barbecue is disrupted by news of the declaration of war, and the men rush to enlist. Oh my goodness! In a bid to arouse jealousy in Ashley, Scarlet marries Melanie's younger brother Charles before he leaves to fight. So that's one way to get someone
2: jealous, eh? Whoa, Nellie!
1: Yeah, I think I'll get married, and that'll get him.
0: I can't. Show I, I can't tell you how many times I've used that ploy. <laughs> you know, just marry somebody to make the person I'm actually interested in jealous. It's it. it you know, yeah, it's some overhead. It works like a hot dam, though.
1: <laughs> well, she marries Charles, but sure enough, Charles dies while serving in the Confederate States Army. Oh, Charles. Uh, yeah. Scarlett's mother sends her to the Hamilton home in Atlanta. That's also in Georgia, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Still, or only in 1861? I'm, I'm not clear. <laughs> where she creates a scene. By attending, her husband's just died, right? She creates a scene by attending a charity bazaar in her morning attire and waltzing with Rhett.
2: Oh my God.
1: Now, Rhett is now a blockade runner for the com- Confederacy. So I took a little trip into Wikipedia about blockade running. KJ?
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Nothing.
1: PJ, are you raising your hand? I'm raising <laughs> my hand. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> what, what is a blockade runner? Uh, During the Civil
0: War, uh, R.J., (laughs) as as they were losing, towards the close of the war and and in many other wars, one of the strategies has been to make sure that supplies cannot get into the side that is in the process of losing. In other words, they surround them and they prevent the exchange of goods like food and munitions and horses. They set up a blockade. And that happened in that war. And... um, so, of course, if you're inside the blockade, you like to eat, so you try to figure out ways to get supplies through, and you run the blockade. And it's dangerous because, of course, what you're essentially doing is sneaking out through guarded positions and then sneaking back in again. Now, this blockade, it can be on land or water? Yeah, yes. The F- British are famous for having uh, choked Napoleon for just his whole entire time as, as Napoleon, they they blockaded French ports and really put the screws to the French economy because they couldn't exchange stuff, they couldn't ship stuff by water. So
1: yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. That's in the in the Wikipedia article. They also note that blockade running running is highly profitable. Yeah, because people are pretty desperate. They like food. You know. It's high risk. Yeah. Uh, so there you are. It's just like running drugs in that sense. Yeah. There's a lot yep. of money to be made. Okay, so uh, paragraph two (laughs) out of five. The tide of war turns against the...
2: Confederates. Confederates.
1: After the Battle of... (laughs) Hastings. Gettysburg. (laughs) (laughs) I like the rapt concentration
0: there, Katie. That's very good. (laughs) Uh, The battle.
1: And uh, anyway, um, after the Battle of Gettysburg, in which many... Of the men of Scarlet's town are killed. Eight months later, as the city is besieged by the Union Army, in the Atlanta campaign, I guess they mean the city of Atlanta then. Uh Melanie gives birth with Scarlet's aid, and Rhett helps them flee the city. I mean, after all, he is a blockade runner.
0: He's dashing and gallant.
1: Once out of the city, Rhett chooses to go off to fight, leaving Scarlet to make her own way back to Terra. Upon her return home, Scarlet finds Tara deserted, except for her father, her sisters, and former slaves Mammy and Pork. Scarlet learns that her mother has just died of typhoid fever, the typhoid, and her father has become senile. With Tara pillaged by Union troops and the fields untended, Scarlet vows she will do anything for the survival of her family and herself. As the O'Hara's work in the cotton fields, Scarlett's father attempts to chase away a carpetbagger from his land and, you know, Scarlett's father has dementia, right? He tries to chase away a carpetbagger from his land but is thrown from his horse and killed. Okay, guys. What's a carpetbagger? <laughs> BJ <laughs> BJ, you're raising your hand.
0: Oh, God, that's fun. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think a carpet bagger is it's a scam artist, a con artist. It's somebody who comes and goes, uh, doesn't have a lot of money, and is trying to um, con others out of their money. And a carpet bag is just what it sounds like. It's a bag made out of a carpet. In other words, you're down on your luck. You're making your, your suitcase, your traveling gear is made out of pieces of furniture.
1: And uh, so carpet bagger. Yeah, it's fantastic. I took a, a another side trip into Wikipedia on carpetbaggers, and I had the same kind of feeling that a carpetbagger was a little bit of a, you know, big that, uh, was uh, it right? Fancy looking. Pr- it, it, it's generally right, and I'll, I'll bet you the term has kind of modified over the years. But it's fascinating. Um, back in the Civil War era, specifically in the Reconstruction, which is this period of years after the war, uh, we'll talk about in a minute there was uh, people from the North would come down and they'd be all high and mighty about how morally superior they are. And there's real parallels right now. I mean, what drives people into MAGA is being told that they're stupid and being told that their concerns are not real. And so here's a picture and we'll put this in the show notes, a picture of a carpetbagger uh, from Wikipedia. And this is a cartoon that was actually done at the time. And he's holding a small carpet bag in the front And this is, uh, that bag in the front that he hold that, sorry guys, I'll speak into the mic. That bag that he's holding in the front is a bag of his criticisms of the South. Hmm. That huge bag that he has on his back are all the faults of the North Hmm. that he is largely ignorant on. And he's coming down to tell the South people that everything they've done with slavery has been wrong and they need to fix themselves. So that, I found that just fascinating.
0: That is interesting. I didn't, I didn't, I kind of, obviously I misunderstood and yeah, it looks like we're headed into our
1: own little reconstruction in 2021, really, eh? Exactly. Cause when we learn about the reconstruction, I think it had a couple different purposes. You know, one was, uh, okay, now that the slaves are freed, um, let's get them into society, you know, to give them the right to vote eventually um, this and that, like, so a number of things, but also because the South was pretty well wrecked by the, uh, by the Northern troops, they were hit, of course, a lot harder than the, uh, the North was. And so you really are literally going to be reconstructing the torn up infrastructure and stuff like that. Economy. Uh, and then, so reconstruction in the sense of flee- uh, freeing the slaves now give them some rights. That's still underway.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that. What's interesting about that too is the huh, it does explain context, modern context, a lot, right? Southern states were told that all of their thoughts about race were invalid, and they were basically told that they were going to have to change that. There was rules legislated, but they never really accepted it for a long, long, long time. And you wonder still haven't how much still of that haven't.
1: sentiment. Yeah, how much of that sentiment persists today? Yeah, I mean, they went backwards, didn't they, with, with all the Jim Crow laws, got finally removed when, 1970-something?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think really what we get to wonder is whether anybody's sentiment has changed one scratch, uh, and that what
1: really has changed
0: is their willingness to be overt about it.
1: But growing up in the States, and I, I think you guys can comment, I bet you it's the same up here, I'm just grow- growing up as an elementary school kid, I'm going, check mark, problem solved. Civil War made it all decided. Everything's good now. <laughs> yeah, you you were
0: taught that America is mighty and united, and we're all pulling the same direction, and everything's yeah. beautiful.
1: Yeah, and we were taught the same in Canada. Okay, so anyway, Scarlet's father, who has dementia, tries to chase away a carpetbagger, and you know, obvious it becomes obvious by now that this whole movie is done from the point of view of Southerners. Um, and so the bad carpetbagger, uh, but the father's thrown from the horse and killed. With the defeat of the Confederacy, Ashley, Ashley also returns, but finds he is of little help at Terra. When Scarlet begs him to run away with her, isn't he still married to Melanie at this point? No, didn't Melanie die? Yeah, Melanie gave birth with Scarlet's assistance. We'll find out. When Scarlet begs him to run away with her, he confesses his desire for her. Okay, so it turns out that Ashley is attracted to Scarlet. He confesses it. He kisses her passionately, but says he cannot leave Melanie. Oh, okay. So Melanie
0: was not dead. Yeah. Uh, although she's dying inside now, when she finds out that
1: uh, if she finds out, <laughs> she'll be dying inside. Let's 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 be clear on that. Okay. And this one's fascinating. Unable to pay the Reconstructionist taxes imposed on Tara, Scarlet dupes her younger sister Swellen's fiance. Well, we're halfway through that sentence and it's a run-on sentence. So let's just point out that the Southerners are being taxed pretty heavily to help in reconstruction. It wouldn't surprise me if the norther- Northerners are being taxed as well. That would be interesting to find out. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like those little old ladies living in Dunbar. All right. Well, no, we should just tax them mercilessly. <laughs> let's, let's be clear on that. <laughs> okay. So this run-on sentence, Scarlet has a younger sister named Swellen. And And wait a minute, uh,
0: wait a minute. I need to stop you there on that too. How's that written in there? You want me to just read it? No, I just, I just want to know that name. You, you, you're saying swelling, like swelling
1: without the G. Yeah. Is her name
0: spelled S W E L L I N?
1: Well, you guys, you guys tell me if I've been pronouncing this right is spelled capital S. I guess I didn't need the capital, did I? (laughs) U E L L E N sue ellen i think it's sue ellen yeah
0: i think oh swelling, my god <laughs> what happens when you bash your foot <laughs> 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 and i'm not editing out all, right. all the time just oh, you swelling. just leave it
1: leave it all in i don't care anyway scarlet dupes her younger sister Swellens fiancee <laughs> <laughs> the middle-aged the middle-aged
0: way to, way to double down rj
1: and wealthy general store mm. owner frank kennedy into marrying her by saying Sue Ellen got tired of waiting and married another suitor. So she lies that her Uh, own. She lies that her own younger sister has married somebody else and so she tricks Frank into marrying her. Now this is her second husband she swoops in and steals swellin's meal ticket and what is this is cuz she oh probably cuz she wants somebody to help her out at terra is that well, it well because frank's well off
0: yeah and he yeah. she needs she needs money to bail out otherwise she's going to lose terra yeah all right so scarlett is really aptly named i think i, I just can't believe she's going to get
1: branded in some other movie that's right frank ashley Rhett, and several other accomplices Make a night raid on a shanty town. After Scarlet is attacked while driving through it alone, so they're going to punish the shanty town uh, because Scarlet got attacked, resulting in Frank's death. She marries somebody. They die. Two people, two in a row, right? <laughs> With Frank's funeral barely over, Rhett <laughs> proposes to Scarlet. So Frank just died. <laughs> Rhett just swoops in, and she accepts.
0: Well, you know, like Scarlett's the kind of woman that goes to a celebratory ball in her in her morning gown.
1: Yes, exactly. She's
0: in the game immediately. As soon as Frank's face down in the dirt,
1: she's in. Come on. It's not Rhett's yeah. fault. Rhett and Scarlett have a daughter whom Rhett names Bonnie Blue. But Scarlett, still pining for Ashley. I mean, why did she marry Jesus Rhett? Scarlett. Yeah, she's Scarlett. Still pining for Ashley and chagrined at the perceived ruin of her figure. Uh, Perceived is the key word there. No kidding,
0: because it's been a long time since I watched that movie. But if I recall correctly, even at the very last scene in the movie, there's pretty much nothing to complain about with regard to Scarlett's figure.
1: No doubt. Uh, She lets Rhett know that she wants no more children and that they will no longer share a bed. Ooh. So that's 1939, wow, she, really, she,
0: she had to spell it right out like that? Couldn't she just say no more kids? Like, wow. It's yeah. a bit harsh. One day at Frank's
1: <laughs> Mill, that's ex-Frank's Mill. Dead Frank's Mill. Scarlett and Ashley are seen embracing. Oh! <gasps> I believe Scarlett's still married here. She's still the mother of Bonnie yeah. Blue, for God's sakes! Like, come on. <laughs> they are seen by Ashley's sister, India, and harboring. You guys can tell me how that's pronounced.
0: Well, I'm just wait a sec. How many sisters is that? As Scarlett got kicking around, oh this Ashley's is, sister. Ashley's I beg sister. your pardon. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: And harboring an intense dislike of Scarlett, she eagerly eagerly spreads rumors. Later that evening, Rhett, having heard the rumors, forces Scarlett to attend a birthday party for Ashley. But Rhett's angry at Scarlett, and he makes her attend a birthday party with her lover, right? I know, because he wants to see how they act. Melanie, however, stands by Scarlett. After returning home from the party, Scarlett finds Rhett downstairs drunk, and they argue about Ashley. Rhett kisses Scarlett against her will. That happens in a lot of these old I'm movies. Tell me telling right? you,
0: they really had it turned up high in this 1939 there.
1: Stating, I'd love to know what the dialogue is because Wikipedia just spells this out. He kisses her against her will, stating his intent to have sex with her that night and carries the struggling Scarlett to the bedroom. Because that's not when his famous line happens, I don't think. The next day, Rhett apologizes for his behavior. And by the way, if you're getting tired of this segment, we're coming into the final uh, paragraph here. The next day, Rhett apologizes for his behavior and offers Scarlett a divorce, which she rejects, saying that would be a disgrace. (laughs) Scarlett all of a sudden thinks something would be a disgrace. I don't know what's up with that. She's just working
0: Rhett over, like...
1: When Rhett returns from an extended trip to London, Scarlett informs him that she is pregnant. But an argument ensues, which results in her falling down a flight of stairs and suffering a
2: miscarriage. Right on. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> As she is recovering, tragedy strikes when Bonnie dies while attempting to... This is Bonnie Blue, the child, right? Uh-huh. She dies while attempting to jump a fence with her pony. Oh, Scarlet and Rhett visit Melanie, who has suffered complications arising from a new pregnancy on her deathbed.
0: What? She had a pregnancy on her deathbed?
1: Yeah, I know. The, I think, <laughs> rude, you know, rude. I have gone in and edited uh, Wikipedia articles from time to time. In fact, I counted my number of edits. I'm up around 30 or 40 now. <laughs> and I think this is going to, I'm going to take a trip in and see if I can get this fixed before it airs. Uh, but anyway, it says, uh, you want me to read this one more time?
0: Yeah, they go to visit okay. Mel, well,
1: go ahead, please do. Uh, Scarlett and Rhett visit Melanie, who has suffered complications arising from a new pregnancy on her deathbed. There's a couple of com- oh, commas yeah. in there that help out. So
0: a dangling uh, modifier.
1: Yeah, as Scarlett consoles Ashley, ah, she's consoling Ashley, isn't that sweet, Rhett prepares to leave Atlanta, having realized that it was him she truly loved all along, and not Ashley. Huh? Scarlet pleads with Rhett to stay, but Rhett rebuffs her. KJ, what's his uh, line of dialogue when he rebuffs her?
2: Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn.
1: Nice. I think I've got that right. I could be wrong. You know, He, I suppose he could have given that line elsewhere in the movie. No, it's at the very end, I'm sure. And he walks away into the morning fog, leaving her in tears on the staircase. A distraught Scarlet resolves to return home to Tara, believing that one day she will get Rhett back. And what's that line there? There's some, I can't remember. There's a line there, I think, you know, tomorrow and tomorrow, something like. So guys, are we, PJ, you're the only one who's watched this movie start to finish. Are you supposed to feel sorry for Scarlet? Uh, you're supposed to feel uplifted by her determination and
0: optimism. I don't know if you're supposed to feel sorry for her or not. I think Rhett's departure is sort of much celebrated. Like, yeah, finally, grab a brain, buddy, blow town, because, like, this woman is just trouble. Um, but I think we're supposed to feel at least sympathetic with Scarlet just because she's so feisty. She's
1: the main character. Well, yes, yeah, she's she's feisty, right? And so without seeing her acting, which probably puts you on her side for a lot of it, the feistiness too, when you just read the plot summary, she's going, she's the bad, you're going, she's the bad guy. Oh, she's trouble. She's I'm, just I'm, nothing.
2: I'm, to I'm confused her. at that last reference that Rhett realized that Scarlett loved him all the way along.
1: No, no Scarlett Scarlet realizes that all along when she was going after Ashley.
2: She suddenly, loved Rhett.
1: Yeah. She suddenly realizes, no, 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 no. You fool to herself. Bre oh. was the
2: right guy. Oh, okay, okay. okay yeah. okay.
1: And he doesn't give a damn. <laughs> frankly. To be frank, what do you guys think of that when people it's, say, to be honest?:
0: Oh, I've been told again and again that it's the full red flag to an upcoming lie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I maybe. I think it's also to emphasize something like, first of all, when someone says to be honest, then that always goes, and I, and I say it from time to time too, but it goes through my mind that, okay, so you, what you're saying here is that often you aren't. All right, uh, PJ, you've got com. My friend
0: Al of Walnut Grove, he sent this thing along. You can put basically any email address in there and it will tell you
1: whether it has been used somewhere else turns out I have a deep knowledge on this topic. Do you? Yeah. I've been a member of have I, have I been, it's spelled interestingly and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. The hacker kids, instead of saying owned, they say pwned. You just key in your email address. I've been on it for, I guess, about five years now. <laughs> anytime there's a big leak. Yeah. Anytime there's a big leak, like uh, millions and millions of IDs stolen. Sometimes the hackers get a trove of logon information like AOL.com one time in the worst leaks they get. Not only do they get your ID, but they get your password as well. And so every time one of these leaks happens and becomes public, this website goes through it and runs a script and automatically sends you an email saying you've been pwned. Um, And, and, and they tell you more about the leak And they remind you why you should never use the same password in multiple locations. Because, you know, once someone has uh, got your password, then they might start trying your email and password in different services. And hence the, what was it, four or five years back when all those actors and actresses had their little nude photos published off iCloud. It was that simple. People just guessed their password and went and found the Apparently that was
0: the... The cause of the CERB uh, fail last spring, people were having their CRA accounts hacked by people who had guessed their CRA password by that same method.
1: Very coincidentally, I went to sign in to UPS just to check the status of a parcel. Mm-hmm. And up came the Apple dialogue. It's a new one. It comes on their latest operating system. And it says... Uh, this password has been seen in a data leak and should be changed to a strong have password. Have I been
0: pwned, eh? I didn't know that either.
2: Yeah. And you
1: spell that P-W- P-W-N-E-D, yeah. Pwned. Yeah, I've Play got it on one. Us. We have had a four-slice toaster for years, and it takes long time, I feel, for the toast to come up. And so as part of the process of selling Sue's mom's house we kept an old two-slice toaster, probably from the early 70s. Man, is that thing fast. <laughs> I had no idea. The old toasters are so much faster than the new ones. Very satisfying. The toast pattern even looks different. You go, I remember this toast pattern. The new ones are nothing like this. I think that some regulations came along somewhere that said, no, no, you cannot run a toaster at more than X I watts I think that's per- a
0: pretty good guess. I was only going to guess that the old ones drew way more power and popped way more breakers i mean probably way too many people just got really pissed off because their toaster would pop breakers but maybe they regulated it because they were also uh in places without breakers they would start fires probably yeah yeah. cool i didn't know that because that makes me want an old toaster now because they really are slow oh my god
1: yeah if you can go on marketplace or craigslist and have a look for a old vintage toaster (laughs) nice that's nice just a little thing, KJ. You have a couple items on any list. In particular, you have a dream. Oh, item. yeah, now you bring that one up. Sure, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like by definition, dreams are hard to remember unless you basically wrote.
2: Them oh, out. I had this. I, I have a ton of waking dreams these days because I, I at six hours I get up and pee and I go back to bed and for that for the next hour and a half or whatever, I'm I'm it's rather a fitful sleep. This is about two months ago now and I'm I'm having a dream and I think it's me and Susan on bicycles. We're at, at a sort of we're just entering a street and it's everything's really quite close. I'm right behind her and this guy comes down the street on a bike and he says something like, what are you, why, why are you pulling out, you know, didn't you see me or something, you know, and he, he, gets off his bike and he goes to smash Susan's bike with his bike or sort of smash Susan or something. And I step in the hero that I am and I give him a backhand with my right hand and I slammed my hand into the night table beside my bed (laughs) and it like woke me up like instantly and it, also made me laugh a little bit.
0: No kidding. (laughs) I would howl. I I would never imagine that you would actually be making the motion in your sleep.
2: Well, and that's the other thing is that a lot of my dreams are, oh, I just, I got to get... I got to get over there, but I can't, for some reason, I can't move very fast. And, and it's because you're, you know, your legs are bent and wrapped up in blankets and you can't, they can't move. Right. And so you end yeah. up kind of, you're, you're almost crawling on your belly over to the next thing.
1: Do you, uh, do you ever steer? You ever find that you're, you're having a dream and you kind of realize that for the bat last minute you've been making the outcome better
2: and oh oh i see what you mean by steer
1: i, I do get that i kind of go oh I, it takes me a while to realize i don't even know i'm steering and then i go oh yeah that's why that's why suddenly the problem went away i, I i've been coming awake here and uh i've Jeez. suddenly made myself the hero or you know
2: and or, is, or, as soon as you realize that do you wake up
1: I am awake at that moment. It's just that moment.
2: Oh, okay, there, I, okay. there I
1: am. I'm awake. And then I might drift off to sleep and the dream keeps continuing as well. Um, and if I, if I'm not steering, it gets worse. <laughs> uh. And if I am steering, it gets better. It's kind of, I,
0: I really wish I had that ability. Cause that would allow me to sleep in late a lot more often. Cause you know, I'll, I'll same with you, Mob. I'll have those, those stupid little semi half awake, dreamlets and a lot of times there's an anxiety theme and I don't like that so I decide I'll, I'm getting out of bed <laughs> you know I
2: uh, I'm not gonna yeah, lie yeah.
0: here and have an unpleasant a sleep filled with unpleasant little dream ups I'm just gonna
1: get up I'll have a nap later if I need to yeah sometimes it can take quite a while before you start feeling better about it yeah that anxiety absolutely. can last a yeah, while depending on what it is it's
0: usually it's the, usually the instant I realize I'm just having an anxiety dream because it's that time of the morning it's over, but occasionally, yeah, you'll have one where that feeling lasts, and that's just i it'd be great to be able to just steer away from that be great
2: I have another one here. Uh, the first question is, are your dreams different in zero gravity like if you could fall asleep in zero gravity and just kind of be suspended, would you be free like would your body be free to? like run like a dog, like a dog runs in his dreams? Those, you know, like, would you be able to do a whole bunch more because you are not constrained by blankets and gravity?
0: <laughs> That's a good so, question. Because like, you just gave an example, two examples, in fact, of dreams where physical reality intruded on the dream. And you mentioned a third where the blankets prevent you from doing stuff. So from that perspective, you would think just floating free whether it was a sensory deprivation tank or actual zero gravity, or just whatever, mm. you would think that would allow you to thrash around a lot more. I imagine yeah. myself dreaming about drowning. If I was just floating and couldn't touch anything, uh, yeah, and had yeah. no contact, I, I imagine myself dreaming that I was drowning.
1: I don't know if I understand the question though. So you're laying in bed, and you're asleep and you're dreaming that you're in zero gravity. No, no, no,
2: no, that you're actually in zero gravity and you fall asleep.
1: If you were in zero gravity. Yeah, and
2: you have no your body has uh-huh. no constraints, so yeah, would yeah, it yeah. move in your dreams be able to move better. See, the other yeah. thing is is the guy on the bike who I go to backhand, what if I do that movement but I, there's nothing in the way and I just do this big backhand, do I hit the guy? Or do it? Does it feel like a miss? Yeah, you it, know, yeah. I'll bet you it feels like yeah, a yeah, yeah. So i
1: because I have that one dream that I've told you guys about, and it's it's recurring. Unfortunately, if I fall asleep listening to a podcast and I forget to put the sleep timer on, what happens is I'm starting to come back awake. Could be a couple, three hours later. These guys are on the podcast talking. I'm still asleep, and I try and talk to them. And it's the most frustrating, most frustrating because damn, if I can't get a word in edgewise, I keep trying, I keep trying and they talk and and I talk louder. I try to talk more clearly and I I just, all these emotions like, oh, I guess I'm just not expressing myself well or, oh my God. And then I wake up and I go, I can't believe I'm such an idiot.
0: That's validating all the negative stuff you thought about yourself in the dream. But
1: again, that's Way a physical thing that's in the in the room with me is those voices that's real, and it is actually causing the dream. Yeah, well, it's
0: participating in the dream. Like in Moby's case, you know, he's having a dream about riding bikes and somebody does something and he's going to step in. And so we're positing that if he was in zero gravity, it would be a swing and a miss, but would in the dream the guy go away? No, he'd probably still be there because the reason he's there has something to do with some sort of aggression or anxiety in your head,
2: right? Mhm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And he's so swinging at him as part of the expression is going to go away just cuz you missed, no. And yeah. I I wonder there's a sort of a cause and effect thing, right? But the real cause of most of your dreams is something I think going on in your head.
1: Yeah, that's right. And the rest of it is well, just when, incidental. Yeah, when you swing and your hand runs into something then that's yeah. the uh, then your that, brain that can
2: change. Right. I didn't, like, in that dream, I didn't get the feeling that I hit the guy because I was awake by the time yeah, that right. happened, right? Yeah.
1: That's Damn so it. scary, too, right? The terrible things can happen when people are sleepwalking or whatever. And just yeah. the idea that you're swinging, you know, what if someone's lying in bed right next to you and you swing the wrong mm. way? it's pretty, pretty yeah, dangerous.
2: Wife with a broken nose.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's just a dream. Or was it?
0: that was all we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope some of you out there are considering a new whole future as an officiant or something like that. Visit our website. That's always a good idea. And make sure and take care of yourself. We really are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with all the turmoil in politics. And as an extra additional bonus plus, the days are getting longer. So take care of yourself and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye-bye.